only the world in sin and error pining. I wonder how many of us would answer correctly on a quiz what pining means. It's a word synonymous with longing or hoping. And in sin and error, we're longing and hoping for an interruption, something to course correct this thing. That song was written by Placide Capot in France in 1847. And it was banned in all of France shortly thereafter when he left the faith. But the song did not die because of its intense message of hope, a hope that all of us deep within long for. It continued to carry on. People would sing it even year round. So much so that over 20 years later in 1870, during the Franco-Prussian War, German and British soldiers faced each other, aiming to kill each other. And it was cold. And in a lull of gunfire, one of the soldiers began to sing, O Holy Night. And it caught on, and it spread throughout the foxholes. And it led to an interruption of battle, an interruption of hope, a ceasefire for 24 hours. This song, we love it because it has this message of hope. In fact, did you know that the Union soldiers sung this song year round, specifically this line, chain shall he break for the slave is our brother and in his name all oppression shall cease. Did you know that in 1906, one of Thomas Edison's colleagues was experimenting with a machine one that, that would later go on to be called the radio. And, and he had interrupted the airwaves. Now, no one had an, a radio, so what specifically did he interrupt? The ships that were passing by their Morse code machines over their machine. The first song ever in the history of the world played over the radio was A Holy Night. These were the first words that anyone would ever hear over radio waves. Truly, he taught us to love one another. His law is love and his gospel is peace. Chain shall he break for the slave is our brother and in his name all oppression shall cease. Sweet hymns of joy and grateful chorus raise we. Let all within us praise his holy name. Christ is the Lord. Oh, praise his name forever. His power and glory evermore proclaim. His power and glory evermore proclaim. And he ended with a reading from Luke chapter 2, verses 10 and 11. Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. The first message that ever interrupted radio waves was the Christmas message of hope. And when soldiers were aiming and hoping to kill each other, hoping to win and hoping to survive and hoping to endure the cold and hoping to go home to see their families, a hope interrupted them. The real hope that was, is within all of them. And the war was interrupted. The radio waves were interrupted with this message of hope. 2,015 years ago. Thousands of years of prophecy, 400 years of silence was interrupted by the sound of a crying baby in a manger. And that baby was our Savior, Jesus Christ.
and some of your lives have been interrupted by the hope that he offers. As you came into this room this morning, some of your lives have been interrupted, changed forever by the hope that he offers. That's what we're talking about this morning, the interruption of hope. The interruption of hope. We're starting a new series called The Coming, which is just based on Advent. Advent comes from the Latin word Adventus, which means coming. And so I don't know if you knew this, but Advent has a double meaning. We celebrate when Christ came for the first time, Christmas, the first Christmas in Bethlehem. And we wait, we anticipate, we hope, we pine. We long for the second coming of Jesus. That's what we should have in common this morning as we gathered in this room is a longing, a waiting for the second Christmas when Jesus comes back and puts this all back together. And so at Advent, we remember the first Christmas, the first coming of Christ, while we await for the second coming. We celebrate Christmas past and hope for Christmas future. And in this time, I know that there's... There's a lot of magical sensations. There's a lot of things going on. You go by the mall. You see all the beautiful lights and all the people and the hustle and bustle that makes this season special. But there is also coexisting with all of that hope and all of that fun and all of that magic, if you will, is stress and anxiety and angst and travel plans and asking off. And I'm going to go with my family, then your family, and then we'll get the kids and we'll do this. Ah! The interruption of Christmas. We prepare for the interruption of Christmas. But you can't prepare for an interruption. That that makes it not an interruption. An interruption is not something you plan for. An interruption is something that breaks your plans. Changes your plans. This is the interruption of hope that we're talking about this morning. And we must get this as followers of Jesus Christ. This is the basis, the very foundation of our faith. And so this morning I want to talk about how hope interrupts the lives of sinners. Like you and me. How hope interrupts the lineage of sinners, that's the things behind us. And how hope interrupts the legacy of sinners, that's the things we leave behind. We're going to be in the most exciting text in all of the scripture. Um, So I want you to think about where that is. Am I going to go Luke 2? Most exciting text in all the scripture. Maybe Romans 8, maybe Romans 5, maybe Philippians 2. Maybe Revelation 19. Most exciting text in all the scripture. We're going to go genealogy of Jesus in Matthew chapter 1. All those names you skip over every year when you begin to read the New Testament. No, it really is. This is laced. It is laced with great stories. You ever been on a bumpy road? Like I'm from the country. And so there's lots of bumpy roads. You got your coffee in your, in your glove. I mean in your um, console. And it's bouncing and spilling everywhere because the road's bumpy. The genealogy of Jesus is a bumpy road that leads to Christ. It is filled with these bumpy characters along the way. And so we're just going to stop and we're going to look at some of those characters. Matthew wrote this, and you must understand why. This is the only genealogy like it in ancient history. I don't mean the only genealogy of Jesus. The only genealogy like this in ancient history because of what he does. He does some scandalous things. One, he includes women. That would have been unheard of in this time. Two, as he's trying to prove the royalty of Christ, that he is the Messiah that you've longed for, he adds all these shady characters to his genealogy. He could have chosen anyone. Uh, anyone in Christ's path, but it, you know, he, he obviously skipped over a few of them and he highlights some of the shadiest characters. And you got to, why would Matthew do this? Why would he do that? To understand his audience. His audience is here. Some of you, the older brothers, if you resonated with the message two weeks ago, his audience 
is a group of self-righteous Jews. People who think that they can get to God by their own works. People who think that they don't need a savior. People who are trying to work their way up to God. People who have rejected Jesus because of who he associated with, sinners and tax collectors. And so Matthew writes to them and he goes, oh, hey, let me show show you who this Jesus is. Oh, the king that you've been waiting for. Let me just show you some things about his family. Real interesting character. Now, why would Matthew do that? The answer is in Matthew 9. You can turn to Matthew 1 and be there and I'm going to set us up where we're headed by reading to you out of Matthew 9. In Matthew chapter 9, this happened. This, it was a real life occurrence. It happened before Matthew wrote chapter 1. Jesus, he gets off a boat in Capernaum. And he's walking along the way and he heals a paralytic man. A man, he says, your sins are forgiven. The Pharisees, you can't, you can't tell somebody their sins are forgiven. Who do you think you are? He goes, okay, well, check this out. Hey, get up and walk. How about that? And the man gets up and with joy, he walks. And then Jesus, you, when you get off a boat, okay, there's going to be a tax collector's booth there. You would pay a port tax. Tax collectors, the Jews, hated the tax collectors. We talked about this two weeks ago. Here's why. We, we have to understand why. These tax collectors would steal money from them and, and give money to the Roman government, which would fund the killing and the torture of their peers and their neighbors. They had seen their friends hanging on crosses, lit on fire, that this tax collector helped fund. And so Jesus walks to one of the most hated men in that area, in this tax collector's booth, and he says, follow me. That man's name was Matthew. You ever wondered why Jesus hung out with tax collectors? Because his best friend was one. The tax collectors hung out with each other. The reason Jesus was always with tax collectors is is because Matthew, his boy is a tax collector. Jesus goes up to this man who has this great job, meaning he's making a lot of money. And he says, follow me. You know what he says? You know what he says? Evidently not. He says, okay, I'll follow you. That's what he says. I'll read it to you. Matthew chapter nine, verse nine. As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting in a tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him. And Matthew got up and followed him. While Jesus, parenthetically, it says, he said, okay. No, it doesn't say that. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. Why? Because there's a celebration. There was repentance. Matthew's like, okay, I'm going to follow you. You're giving me hope. Hey, everybody gather around the table. All my tax collector boys, come on, let's hang out. I met a man who gave me hope. I want you to meet him. He came and ate with his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said, and you need to hear this this morning, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have come to call the righteous, not the righteous, but sinners. Jesus came into the world to interrupt the lives of sinners with hope. Matthew's life, as he sat in his tax collector's booth and he made all this money, he had a lot of things, but he lacked hope. And Jesus shows up and gives him hope and he follows him. And the whole entire trajectory of his life has changed. What did this look like for Matthew? Did he just start going to church then? He's like, okay, I've met hope. Uh, I guess on Sunday I'll go to church. Uh, um, you know, I'm going to buy a Bible and I'll, I'll read it some mornings. No. Who he followed changed. Where he went, what he did, how he talked, changed. 
My first point this morning is hope interrupts the lives of sinners. Hope interrupts the lives of sinners. Jesus came to interrupt the lives of sinners. Said otherwise, he came to save us. Matthew, though he made good money, he lacked hope. Hope interrupts the lives of sinners. What is hope? How would you define it? Hope is the anxious anticipation of what you want most. Hope is the anxious anticipation of what you most want. Such a great word for Christmas. I love Christmas. I've always loved Christmas. I I was the youngest of four kids. And what that meant is, is Christmas time. We couldn't even wait till Christmas. We opened presents on Christmas Eve. Every Christmas Eve morning, that was our family's tradition. And, and just being the youngest of four, I mean, I would, that, what that meant for me is I didn't sleep that night. I don't know if you have kids like this or have seen kids like this or you were a kid like this. I didn't sleep that night. Uh, I would get up out of bed at 5.30. I would run into the living room and I'd see the glowing lights of the Christmas tree. I'd see the presents that were there that had been set there that night. And I went and I would wake up all my siblings at 5.30 in the morning. You got to get up. Santa came. You got to get up. Hey, get up. Hey, it's time to open Christmas. I mean, time to open presents. And, and that usually meant I'd take a pillow to the head a couple times. You know, they were throwing pillows at me and whatnot. And on this one particular Christmas morning, what I had hoped for, what I had wanted most in life was a transformer bike. I love Transformers. And I wanted a bicycle. Now, I had never seen a transformer bike. This wasn't necessarily a real thing. But I went to my parents and I'm like, I want a transformer bike. That's what I would like for this Christmas, which really put them in a predicament. And and so Christmas came and there's presents under the trees. And I went through that whole routine of waking up all my siblings. And I sat there patiently as they went back to sleep. And I just sat there in front of the tree and I just waited could it be my transformer bike? And we, they, they eventually got up, you know, you hear stirring and you're like, what is that? And it's like, oh, it's just mom getting coffee. Hey, everybody get up. There's presents who could sleep at a time like this. And they get up and we would eventually, you know, go to open presents and, and, I, and I would open one and, and I'd be grateful, but it wasn't transformer bike and open the next and be grateful and thankful, but it wasn't transformer bike. And, and as this went on, I grew discouraged. I remember this and opened the last present and tried to fake gratitude, but really was angry. And, um, and my mom saw this on my face and she said, go look in the garage. Oh man, my eyes got this big. The garage. (laughs) Got up, ran to the garage, opened the door. There it was glowing transformer bike. I remember I grabbed it by the handlebars and, and the, the grip was still sticky with black. And I like looked at my hands and there was these lines, black lines. And they tell me, you know, it's still wet. It is fresh from Santa's workshop. I didn't, I was like, wow, <laughs> he did it. You know, his transformer bike. I, I later found out that it was my brother's bike that had been transformed into my bike. <laughs> Couple cans of Krylon. I had no idea. I'm like, man, transformer bike. Didn't say transformer anywhere. It's a transformer bike. (laughs) That transformation, that transformation, the way that that object brought me joy and hope is the transformation that happens in the lives of believers. Something old, something broken, something useless or no longer used is repurposed to, to bring joy and hope in the lives of other people. That's what we do. That's what Matthew did. That's what Matthew's doing as he writes this. I've got to show you that the king of hope is here. 
my, my self-righteous friends, you cannot miss this. You're so busy judging everyone, you do not see who he is. Can I show you who this king that is here, can I show you who he is? He changed my life. You, you think it's funny that he eats with sinners? He came from them. His family is full of them. Some of the most scandalous, outrageous sinners sit at his table. Matthew 1. This is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Matthew starts saying, hey guys, my Jewish friends, remember the Davidic covenant? That this king will come from the line of Judah and the line of David. He's here. Remember the Abrahamic covenant of land, seed, and blessing. That he's going to come from father Abraham. He's starting wide. He goes, he's here. He is before you. He has arrived. Abraham, the father of Isaac. And Isaac, the father of Jacob. Jacob, the father of Judah and his brothers. Judah, the father of Perez and Zerah. Whose mother was Tamar. Got some bumps along the way. Not sure why God chose Judah. He could have chosen Joseph. Remember good Joseph? Chose Joseph's bro. Judah, one who threw Joseph in the well. Well. Judah, real character. How about Tamar? You guys know who Tamar is? Can, can I, do you mind if I tell you the story? I've got the mic, so I think that's okay. So, uh, so Tamar, so, so bear with me here, because this, this is a great one, sitting at Jesus' table. Okay, if you've got kids here, you might want to earmuff them on this one. Tamar, okay, Tamar is the wife of one of Judah's sons. So Judah has several sons, and, and one of them gets married to Tamar, but that son dies. And so in this time, if, you, if a son dies, you know, then his brother would have to marry her so that the, that the legacy could continue, the lineage could continue. Well, the problem with that is Judah's sons are dropping like flies because it says in the scripture they were wicked. So they're dying off. He has one son left. And so what he does, Judah being you know, genius, he, he says, hey, I want you to dress up like a widow to Tamar. And I want you to wait, and I'm going to see how that goes with this son. I mean, he might die too, but we'll see what happens with him. So I just want you to go and live your life as a widow the rest of your life. No, no husband, no kids, unless I say so later on. And so that, that's her lot in life. She dresses up like a widow, and she stays at Judah's house, waiting. Well, Judah's son grows up, leaves the house. So Tamar, she wants what a lot of women want. She wants a family. She longs to have a family. And so she does what a lot of us do when there's something we really, 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 really want. We pray. No, it's not what she did. She took matters in her own hands. Do you know what she did? Do you guys know the story? She dressed up like a prostitute. And she sat on the side of the road. She takes off her widow clothes. She puts on the clothes of a prostitute, covers her face, and she waits. Not just for anyone, she waits for Judah. Do you remember who Judah is? That, that's her father-in-law. That, that's the father to her dead husband. He comes along the road. She seduces him. He says, hey, let me sleep with you. She says, what are you going to give me? He says, how about a goat? She being the keen negotiator that she is, she goes, you don't have a goat here. Until you get me a goat, why don't you give me your seal, which would have been a necklace, and your staff? He said, okay, I'm going to give these to you, but I want them back when I bring you a goat. He gives her a seal and a staff, and he sleeps with her, and guess what happens? She gets pregnant. She gets pregnant with twins, two guys, two boys. Well, 
When Judah, her father-in-law, finds out that this woman who he said to dress up like a widow is pregnant, do you know how he responds? Check this out. Don't miss this. He says, bring her here and burn her alive. She's done a detestable thing. Bring her here and burn her alive. She went off and got pregnant? Who would impregnate her? That's my daughter-in-law. You bring her here and set her on fire. Tamar said, hey, the man who impregnated me, these belong to him. It's Judah's seal and staff. Judah says, oh, it was me. Certainly she is more righteous than I. That's who's at Jesus' table. That's what God could have used anybody. He could have brought Christ from anyone. He said, give me the ancestral widow who dressed up like a prostitute and seduced her father-in-law. Let me use her. Perez, the father of Hezron. Hezron, the father of Ram. Ram, the father of Amenadab. Amenadab, the father of Nashon. Nashon, the father of Salmon. Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. You guys remember what Rahab's business card says? Rahab the what? Prostitutes. All throughout scripture, Rahab the prostitute. Her business card says Rahab. Underneath it says the prostitute. She didn't dress up like a prostitute. She didn't, you know, one day for Halloween say, hey, today I'm going to be a prostitute or I'm going to pretend to be a prostitute so I can get what I want. This was her everyday profession. This is what she did for a living. Every day she wake up, she's a professional. That means compensated for, pleasurer of men. That's what she did. That was her lot in life. That was her occupation. And Joshua was going into Jericho. He sends some spies. God needs to use someone to hide these spies. God says, hey, I can use anyone. Give me the prostitute. Because that's what God does. God says, she's just crazy enough to take her clothes off for money. I think she's crazy enough to be used by me. I will redeem her. That's what God does. No one is beyond his reach. You came in. You brought some sin with you. You've done some terrible things. Maybe you got a profile online. Maybe you're selling yourself. God said, I'll use you. If you know the story, it's an amazing story. The, Joshua says, hide the scarlet cord outside of your window and we will spare your life. Kill the city and spare Rahab, the prostitute, and all of her family. And they're adopted into the Israelites because of what she did. Do you know where Rahab's name shows up in the New Testament? There's this chapter, it's called Hebrews 11, affectionately called the Hall of Faith. And it has some of the most faithful people, Moses and Noah and Abraham and Jacob and Isaac and Rahab the prostitute in the Hall of Faith in the New Testament. He says, have a faith like Rahab the prostitute, who's the great, 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 great granddaughter of Jesus. Wow. Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Obed, the father of Jesse. And Jesse, the father of King David. See, what, what's, what, hey, what, what is Matthew doing here? He's like, hey, self-righteous Jewish friends, hey, listen, um, remember Boaz? Remember his mom? She was a prostitute. Do you guys remember? Hey, remember Judah, Judah from the line of Judah. Remember that little thing with Tamar? Let me write that in here. Do you guys remember? This is the king that you've been waiting for. 
And then he gets here and he's like, King David, the Jews love King David on the throne of King David. David was the father of Solomon, the great, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. Oh, not just King David's wife. Oh, oh, remember, David took her from Uriah. Remember that? Oh, hey, Matthew's like, hey, hey, little self-righteous friends, come here. Let me tell you a little story. Remember when King David was walking on the rooftops? Oh, he was supposed to be at war. Uriah was at war, one of his mighty men. He's walking along the rooftops at home, just taking life easy as a king. This is King David. Sees Bathsheba taking a bath. Appropriate. Bathsheba, there she is. Hey, who, who is this? She's hot. Well, that's, um, that's Uriah's wife. You know, one of your mighty men, one of the men faithfully giving his life, you know, to serve you over, you know, fighting a war. Should have said, oh, well, send her some flowers. Thank her very much for her husband's faithful service. That's not what he does. He says, hey, bring her to me. <laughs> Takes her. I, I, listen, I think Bathsheba gets a bad rep. I mean, the king says, hey, come here. I'm going to sleep with you. You don't have a lot of options in this day and time. He takes her. He sleeps with her. She takes the pregnancy test, you know, EPT kind of thing. And just like, wait, wait, hold on. Uh, I mean, she's terrified. I'm I'm pregnant. My husband's at war. Uh, They're going to bring me to the city gates and stone me. That's what would have happened. That's what was supposed to happen. They're going to kill me. David, I'm, I'm pregnant. King David, being a man after God's own heart. Has her husband killed, murdered. In the line of Jesus. Why? Why? What's Matthew doing? Hey guys, do you see this? You're so self-righteous. Jesus didn't come for those who were healthy. He came for those who were sick. And if you want to embrace this baby in a manger, you'd start with saying, man, I'm not well. I need a savior. I need someone to save me. Man, my life is messy. My family's messy. What I've done is messy. What's, been, what's happened to me? It's messy. Seated at the table of Jesus, it's, it's messy. My second point this morning is hope interrupts the lineage of sinners. Here we have the lineage of Jesus. Lineage is when you look behind you. Lineage is, is what's behind you, where you come from. And Matthew goes to great lengths to show how hope, the hope of Jesus Christ, a baby in a manger in Bethlehem, had interrupted the lineage of sinners Jesus, though he was fully God, came from a long line of sinners. He shows that there is, this is what you need to hear, okay? Matthew is showing you, and he's going to great lengths to tell you something. You've got to hear it. He's saying, hey, there is hope. There's hope regardless of where you come from. You're like, man, my family's messy. So was Tamar's incest. There's hope regardless of what you've done. You're like, man, you don't know what I've done. I know what Rahab did. There's hope. And there is hope regardless of what has been done to you. You're like, you don't know what my uncle did to me, my aunt. You don't know what happened in my family. And I'm like, well, listen, I know what happened to Bathsheba. She's arguably raped and her husband murdered. And there's hope. Hope interrupts. The lineage of sinners. You're like, my family's dysfunctional. So is Jesus's. You just got back from Thanksgiving dinner. You sat around the table. Everybody has someone in their family that you're like, man, I don't want anyone to meet them, you know? 
uh, keep them in a club, you know, like go hide them. And, and then I'm going to bring over my significant other, right? Everyone has those people. Imagine Jesus's table. Imagine, well, that's my cousin Tamar and my, she's my cousin and my niece. It's, it's messy. No, that's her, that's her father-in-law is also the baby's daddy. It's, it's messy. It's messy. Well, that's my cousin Rahab. She works at a bathhouse. It's, it's messy. Do you, do you see what Matthew's doing? He's taking away all your excuses. Why? Well, there's no hope for me. Oh, yes, there is. Oh, yeah, there is. Taking away all your excuses. Jesus, you're like, man, my family's dysfunctional. Jesus' family's more dysfunctional. He came to save you from the dysfunction, to give you hope in the midst of the dysfunction. He's saying something to you. He's saying, hey, you don't have good cousins and bad cousins. You don't have white sheep cousins and black sheep cousins. They're all bad cousins. All your cousins, the most self-righteous, the honor roll, you know, valedictorian, you know, Ivy League graduate, married a doctor, cousin is still a wicked, wicked cousin in desperate need of a savior who came in the form of a crying little baby in a manger born to die. Die for who? Die for your self-righteous, doctor-marrying, valedictorian cousin. To die for them, to die for you. That's why, that's why he here. That's why he came. That's why he showed up on the scene. My little girl came home from school the other day, incredibly excited about this phenomenon called Elf on a Shelf. You guys heard of this? Wish I would have thought of it. Um, I mean, she want, this is what she wants for Christmas. I'm, I'm trying to explain to her. I'm like, I, th- I think it goes in a box after Christmas. You won't be able to enjoy it till next Christmas. You know, I, I don't think you, that's what you want for Christmas. But I'm trying to tell her, and she goes, Daddy, you don't understand. He sees through walls. <laughs> and I'm like, you don't understand. God sees through your heart, you know? And, and she's like, you know, he puts people on the naughty or the nice list. He tells Santa what's going on. And so this Thursday, we're meeting as a community group. We're going to bring all of our kids together. And the devotional we're going to have is, you can do this. You can steal it if you want. I stole it from a guy in my group. The devotional we're going to have is how they're all on the naughty list. How nobody made the right list. And that the presence under the tree, that's grace. Because nobody deserves them. No one's been good. Your righteous deeds are filthy rags to God. And he saved you in spite of you. There's nothing you can do to be saved. You're all on the naughty list. And it's only Jesus is the one who interrupts our life with hope. In the midst of these corrupt people, these crazy lineage, these crazy prostitutes and incest and all the crazy stuff that's going on. All these corrupt kings, these broken people and this crazy story. It's Jesus who interrupts it with hope. Solomon, the father of Rehoboam, verse 7. Rehoboam, the father of Abijah. Abijah, the father of Asa. Asa, the father of Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat, the father of Jehoram. Jehoram, the father of Uzziah. Uzziah, the father of Jotham. And Jotham, the father of Ahaz. And Ahaz, the father of Hezekiah, and Hezekiah, the father of Manasseh, and Manasseh, the father of Amon, and Amon, the father of Josiah, and Josiah, the father of Jeconiah, and his brothers at the time of the exile to Babylon, and yada, 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 so forth and so on. When are we going to get to Jesus? That's how I feel when I read that. Who are these people? All these names I can't pronounce. Like, when are we going to get to Jesus? Let's get this show on the road. Just show me Christ. Show me Jesus. 
And that angst, that's Advent. That anticipation, let's get this show on the road, show me Christ, that's Advent. That's hope. That's the coming. That's why we're here. That's what we're doing. And when hope is interrupted, when hope is interrupted, your life, your life is changed like Matthew's life. Matthew is trying to show these self-righteous people. He's like, no, you don't understand. This guy gave me hope. He changed my life. And when your life has been changed, when hope interrupts your life, hope interrupts the legacy of sinners. That's my third and final point. Hope interrupts the legacy of sinners. Hope interrupts the legacy of sinners. Legacy is the future of someone. What remains after them? See, sinners, and you need to hear this, sinners die in their sins. That's your legacy. What awaits me? Death. What do I deserve? Hell. Had a guy tell me this week, he was like, why? Because I stole a piece of candy in the 10th grade? No. Because you would steal right now if you could. God sees your heart. Every thought you've had, everything you've done. What do you deserve? Like, I want what I deserve. No, you don't want what you deserve. A baby in a manger was born to get what you deserved so that you don't have to. And that's why Christmas is good news. Hope interrupts the legacy of sinners. Can I, can I show you how just from those stories I just read you? This is interesting to me. It hit me yesterday. Tamar deserved to, she, the sentence for Tamar's sin, if you will, was that she was going to be burned to death in the city square. She's going to be burned to death. You know what she got? She got life. She had a son who was the great, 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 great grandson of Jesus Christ, the king, royal bloodline, royalty. That's grace. Rahab, who was a prostitute, who traded, was a traitor to her people. Do you know what traitors get? They, they die. They're, they're murdered. They're, they're tortured and killed. Rahab deserved to die. If not killed by Joshua's spies, then killed by the very people in Jericho who she was a traitor to. She should have died. But you know what she got? She got life, not just life. Her entire family was spared and they were adopted into the Israelites. That's grace. She deserved something bad. She deserved a punishment. She got something good. That's grace. Bathsheba, the the punishment for an adultery at this time, her husband's at war, she's pregnant. There's a no questions asked policy on that. You're taken outside the city. You're, you're, You're pelted with rocks until your heart stops beating. That's what happens. That's what, her, that's what was going to come to her. That's what she deserved, if you will. What happened? She's brought into the palace to live for the rest of her days. She's, she's brought into the palace. Come and live with the king. Psalm 23 says, And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That's the grace that you've received, friends. And you better not think for one second that you deserve it. Because if you do, you've just belittled. You've just cheapened grace. You do not deserve it. It happened in spite of you. A baby was killed on your behalf. I mean, he grew up. 33-year-old man, but he was killed on your behalf. Born to die on your behalf. That's the hope that has interrupted our lives. Because we were on the naughty list. And when you came in here, I talked to people after the first service who are just carrying some shame with them. When you're carrying shame with you, you're saying Jesus didn't have to come. You're saying Jesus didn't have to die. When you, carry, when you want to try to pay for your own sins, you're saying, well, he, he shouldn't have to. He wasted his death. He wasted his life. The incarnation is not important to me. That's God becoming a man. Last week we talked about babies who died in the womb. This morning we're talking about a baby who was born to die. 
for you. This changes our legacy. And when when your life has been interrupted by this hope, you have one choice. There's really only one thing that you can do when your life has been interrupted by this hope. And that's to carry that hope forward, to offer it to others. People want hope, man. They're desperate for it. They're longing for it, sin and error, pining, waiting, hoping there's got to be something more to this. I had a speaking engagement recently that I was just a little nervous about, which is kind of out of character. And I was like thinking, man, what am I going to say to these people? And I don't know if I really want to do this. And, and it was because of where it was. That's why I was nervous. It was at my daughter's school. It was career day. Monica had signed me up for career day. That's nice of her. And so <laughs> the reason I'm nervous is because just think about it with me for a second. Like I'm a pastor and there's not a third grader on the face of the planet that wants to be a pastor. And, and so, um, you know, I'm going to be competing. There's going to be other guys there. I'm going to be competing with police officers and firemen and magicians, you know, and, and there I am, the pastor. You know, hey, come hear how I teach the Bible. It's really cool. Um, and, and so I, I'm, I'm thinking about this, and I'm like, oh, man, what am I going to say to these kids? And so I have to go, and I check into the principal's office, which I still don't like to go to the principal's office. Like, I do not have fond memories of that place. And I, I'm serious, too. I'm not even joking. Like, I can't make eye contact. I'm just like, okay, son, you know, where do I go? Okay, you sure I'm not in trouble? All right. And so go to the library, and that's where all the people for career day are, you know? And so I'm sitting there, and there's all these adults in there. I'm like, doing a blazer. I'm like, what do you do? He's like, I'm an attorney. I'm like, dang. <laughs> this woman walks in, like, hey, how about you? What do you what do you do? I'm trying to represent you. What do you do? She's like, I'm a photographer. I'm like, oh man, a photographer. And then this guy walks in, okay, in a full karate gi. I'm like, are you serious? I look at the attorney. I'm like, man, you're messed up too because neither nobody's gonna go to either. I mean, Mr. Miyagi's here. We're, nobody's coming to our, nobody's coming to our class, you know. And, and it turns out, it turns out that the teachers divided the students, you know, which helped me. And, and so I got to go to the class. I had to share for two sessions. And, and I still, I'm like, man, what am I gonna say? And so I started like, I, I really am nervous. I'm kind of stumbling over my words. And I'm like, um, hey, hey guys, I'm, uh, my name is uh, Jonathan Pacluda and. I'm a pastor. Does, does anybody know what a pastor is? And there's this like obnoxious kid right up front, real tall and skinny, reminds me of me. And he's just like, uh, uh, uh. and I'm like, does anybody, you know, I'm like, I don't even want to hear. Does anybody know what a pastor is? And he's like, uh, uh. and I'm like, oh, okay. All right, man. All right. Well, what, 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 what does a pastor do? He looked at me and he said, you give people hope. And I'm like, you want a job? <laughs> I'm like blown away. I'm like, hey guys, did you, everybody, else, did y'all hear what he said? This bright, articulate, very smart young man. He said, I give people, that's exactly what I do. I give people hope. That's right. That's right. And it was so great because I just got to talk about what that looks like. I could have asked, what, do you guys know what a Christian does? And the answer would have been the same. The answer would have been the same. We give people hope. See, hope came from God through sinners, to sinners, for sinners, to be carried through 
sinners, to be carried forward through sinners. That's what we do. That's why we're here. We've got this incredible message of hope that we're carrying forward. He's coming, guys, and he's coming back, too. And this Christmas, people want to talk about hope. They're very, very open to talk about Jesus and I love what Todd said at, a, at our Christmas party here. We, we gathered two days ago. I do not take for granted that you guys allow us to gather once a year and just celebrate and reflect. And, and we did and we gathered and Todd just ended the time and he said, listen guys, I'm not a perfect pastor. Watermark is not the perfect church. and You're not the perfect staff. But we are on the perfect mission under the perfect savior. Carrying forward the perfect message of hope. That's what we do. And so in summary, we've seen how hope interrupts the lives of sinners like Matthew and like you and like me. How hope interrupts the lineage of sinners like Tamar and Rahab and Bathsheba and you and me. And how hope interrupts the legacy of sinners. This reality that Jesus came to save us, that he's interrupted our lives with hope so that we might interrupt the lives of others with hope. You guys, listen, did, did you know? 44 years after a war was interrupted by the singing of a holy night, another war was interrupted with a message of hope. It's crazy. The exact same thing or something very similar to it happened all over again. This time the war was World War I. December 24th is the great truce of 1914. It's become famous. It's told about. They interviewed the soldiers that were there who said they've never seen anything like it. There's gunfire. And there's people dying. And there's a battlefield. And one soldier begins to sing, this time not O Holy Night, but a song with the same message, Silent Night. And you replay the tape. The same thing happened. A battle, a fight was interrupted. Soldiers who hoped to kill each other, who hoped to survive, who hoped to survive the cold and return to their families, their hopes were interrupted by what they really, really hoped for. It's been documented and recreated. Watch this. Albert Morin from the Second Queen's Regime recounts that night. It was a beautiful moonlit night. Frost on the ground, white almost everywhere. And about seven or eight in the evening, there was a lot of commotion in the German trenches. And there were these lights. I don't know what they were. And then they began to sing. Silent night, still a not. I shall never forget it. It was one of the highlights of my life thought, what a beautiful tune. And I'd love to share that with you. Uh, except, it's an imperfect illustration in this way. When your life has been interrupted by that hope, you just can't return back to fighting. You can't go back to normal. When your life has really been interrupted by hope, you take that message of hope and you carry it forward. And so this Christmas, this is your mission. This is what we will do together. We will carry that message of hope and we will interrupt the lives of others who desperately need it. I pray we do that together. If we can help you in any way, let us know. Have a great week of worship.